If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, while you're going there, uh, thanks for coming this morning. Uh, my name is Michael. I serve here as uh, the pastor. And uh, if this is first time, second time, hundredth time, I'm just glad you guys come. And uh, I'm excited, convinced that uh, you're here today for a reason. Uh, I don't even need to know what that reason is. Uh, you may just come because that's what you normally do on Sunday. Someone may have invited you, but I really believe that uh, in the brief moments that we have together, uh, I really think God has something to say to you to encourage you, uh, to challenge you, and to inspire you. And so uh, I've been married now 17 years. Uh, Kyla and I just celebrated on Valentine's Day our 17th anniversary. We have, thank you for one clap there, Heather. Um, <laughs> uh, we got three kids, and uh, Kyla and I were... Uh, we just love the season of life we're in uh, because uh, I'll tell you why we love the season. Because I haven't had to change a diaper in years. Like, I don't have to wipe anyone else's butt, and it's just the greatest thing ever. Uh, I don't have to bathe anyone else. I don't have to feed anyone else, and I don't have to clothe anyone else. I remember three kids under the age of five, the craziness of doing all of that, and that's like you feel like all you're doing. And I know some of you are in the midst of that season right now, uh, and it's awful. I get it. So it's coming to an end at some point. Some of you are getting ready to start that season. And just so you know, the next 10 years will be crazy. Uh, but we love it. It's just, it's absolutely awesome. But as I was thinking about that, uh, I know this is like the calm before the storm of the teenage years. Uh, we're excited for that, but it's this season right now where I can just tell my kids, hey, go take a shower get your pajamas on and we'll meet you upstairs in a little bit and we'll go through our routine. And it's awesome. Imagine if my high school kids uh, were still wearing diapers. Imagine if I was still having to, you know, do all of that when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. I'm still having to change them. I'm still having to bathe them. I'm still having to feed them. I think most of us would be like, man, Michael, why aren't your kids like growing up? Like what's going on? What's happening? Because I think all of us realize, yeah, you wear diapers for a little bit. You have to have someone else bathe you for a little bit. You have to have someone else feed you for a little bit. But there comes a point when you're like two or three or four or five where you start actually growing, where you actually start developing, where you actually start growing up. And if we don't grow up, well, we're missing out on what grown-ups actually get to do and not wear diapers and actually bathe yourself and all of those kinds of things. So a sign of growing up is just no longer doing the things you once did because you're now doing things consistent with where you are in life. But in order to often grow up, you need someone to come alongside you and say, hey, it's time to grow up. It's time to, to mature. It's time to move forward. Uh, Steve Boggs, um, when I was 25 years old, uh, I was doing youth ministry at the time, uh, and I was a really like fiery, passionate, like driven, driven guy uh, when I was 25. And Steve Boggs uh, very lovingly pulled me aside. We were in a meeting together with some other leaders, and I was just my normal fired up, passionate, like foaming at the mouth, passionate type of self. And he pulled me aside afterward, and he said, Michael, uh, I wrote it down. This is exactly what um, he said. Uh, Michael, you better deal with your anger or it's going to destroy you and those around you. And I was like, what? That's passion, man. That's not anger. 
because I'm not, I never thought of myself as an angry person. Uh, I've never punched anyone. I've never punched a wall. I've never even really raised my voice in yelling or screaming at someone. Um, but my anger showed up in just different ways, and I didn't even know it. Showed up in silence. You can be silent, but like a really angry person can show up in bitterness and being historical and holding grudges in so many different ways. But he pulled me aside. He said, Michael, you better deal with your anger or it's going to destroy you and destroy those around you. And so in that moment, I had a choice to make. Am I going to listen to what someone was hard but lovingly came alongside and said, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. You can't stay as you are because if you stay as you are, you're going to be ruined by it. And consequently, you're going to be ruining other people. And so here's a question for us this morning. Do you want to remain as you are today, or do you want to grow? Do you want to remain as you are today, or do you want to grow? If one year from now, you were as you are today, would you be okay with that? If nothing changed in terms of you, if there was no growth, if there was no maturing, if there was no development, would you honestly be okay with that? If you battle fear and anxiety and worry, wouldn't you love to get to the point where those things no longer define you? You're not defined by worry or anxiety or fear. You've, you've grown. You've, you've moved forward. Or if you battle things like lust or pride or anger, isn't there something in you that says, gosh, I, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I don't want to be the guy that just his head and his heart is just filled with so much lust or pride, or anger. If you battle things like discouragement, or hopelessness, or complacency, isn't there anything in you that says, I don't want to go on another week, another month, just always feeling discouraged, and just this hopelessness feeling. If you battle not being able to trust and believe in God, are you at a point where you're like, I'd really like a year from now six months from now, three months from now, not to be saying the same things to God that I've been saying to God for the last three years or the last 30 years. So the question that I have is, do you want to remain as you are today or do you want to grow? Because the message in scripture to all of us is growth. God loves us enough to meet us where we are, but he doesn't want us to stay there. God wants you and I to grow, to mature, to move forward so that we're not living lives that are best described as we're just stuck. We're just spinning our wheels. We're same attitude, same behavior, same patterns that you were a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. Before we answer the question of how do we grow, what does it look like to actually grow to move forward so you're not feeling so stuck? What does it look like to grow? Well, I wanted to answer, or at least ask the question, but answer the question, well, why don't we grow? Why do we often just settle for being as we are and not really growing or maturing? Like we get the diaper analogy. Like at some point, you take the diaper off and you, you get potty trained. Like we, we get that that would be insane if you're 25 years old and still not potty trained. So why don't we grow in other areas of our life? And not an exhaustive list here for you, but I wrote two things for me as I've thought through my own seasons of being stuck, my own seasons of feeling like I'm just spinning my wheels all over the place. Uh, number one was just lack of ownership. A lack of ownership. Where there is a lack of ownership in your faith, in your walk, in your relationship with God, there will be no growth. 
There will be no maturing. There will be no moving forward. I see this a lot uh, in young kids. Uh, they grow up in, in the church. Uh, they grow up and maybe mom and dad or mom or dad was a Christian. And so they did the, the, the church thing. They did the Christian thing. But as soon as they moved out, uh, they not only uh, logistically moved out, but spiritually they moved on because their faith, they never owned it. They were just going through the motions because it was just easier to go through the motions and keep mom and dad off my back than actually really wrestle with, do I really even believe this? And so anytime that there is a lack of ownership, there will be a lack of growth. And so the question that I would have is, do you own your faith? Uh, where there's no ownership, I wrote it down that uh, often many of us have what I would call spiritual surrogacy. We, we get the concept of a, a surrogate mom, uh, but spiritual surrogacy is a faith that is dependent upon someone else's faith. It's kind of like when you come to church sometimes, you're like, man, I hope Michael is like on today. I hope he's like, he's got it going because I just need that spiritual shot in the arm. It's been a crummy week. I'm just beat up and I need something to get me fired up. I hope the music is spot on and I hope it's awesome so I can go here and like, ah, I'm ready to go. Well, that's not bad. Like, hopefully church should be like that. Hopefully church should be encouraging and fun and inspiring and challenging. But I would ask, is your faith your own or are you looking to somebody else to give you what you're not willing to work towards yourself? Um, I wrote it like this. Are you pouring into your walk with God or is your walk with God completely dependent on someone else pouring into their walk with God? That makes sense? Are you pouring into your relationship, your friendship with God, or are you completely dependent on somebody else doing that so somebody else can tell you, hey, this is what I'm learning, this is what I'm hearing, this is what I'm seeing? Lack of ownership will always equal lack of growth. Uh, a second one I would give you, for me personally, is a lack of connection. Meaning when I'm isolated, when I'm doing the Lone Ranger thing, when no one really knows me, I promise you I will not be growing. It is hard to grow, and dare I say impossible to grow, when you are out there by yourself, completely unknown. So a question would just simply be, do you have a Steve Boggs? Do you have a Steve Boggs? Somebody who would be willing to tell you, I love you enough to say, you're angry, Michael. You're angry. And it's time for you to grow. It's time for you to mature. Do you have someone who would love you enough to say, you've been talking about worry and anxiety and fear for the five years that I've known you. It is time to move forward, time to grow. So do you have a Steve? Because where there is a lack of connection of being known and knowing others, it will always equal just a lack of growth. Now, that's not an exhaustive list of reasons why we might not be growing, but I see them as a major contributor uh, to when I've gone through seasons of just being stuck, being stuck, spinning my wheels. Now, as we're going to turn to Hebrews today, what God's really impressed on my heart, and I'd encourage you to even write this down. This is like the, the thing I want you to really grab hold of is this. You don't have to stay where you are. You don't have to stay where you are. And I know some of you have been where you are for so long that the thought of something different, of maturing, of growing, is just so foreign to you. But I wanted to encourage you 
that you do not have to stay where you are. So do not give up and do not give in believing that where you are is where you'll always be because I'm just convinced that God actually has more of him for more of you. I'm actually convinced that God wants you to grow every day so that every day you have a story that would sound like, I got to see God do this. I was in this conversation, I was in this meeting, I had this appointment, I was in this situation, I saw this circumstance, and you just see the fingerprints of God every single day. See, I'm not of the mindset where God just wants you to catch a glimpse of him once a week between 11 and 12.30 uh, or a community group. I'm of the mindset where God wants you to see him all the time, and where we're seeing God all the time, we are just growing. So how do we grow? Uh, I'm going to share with you three ways uh, from our time here in Hebrews, but the first way that you and I can grow, mature, move forward would be this. Growth comes from pouring into others what's been poured into you. Growth comes from pouring into others what has been poured into you. This is Hebrews uh, chapter 5, the last few verses. There is so much more we would like to say about this. Okay, so if you read chapter five and you were here last week, Josh did a phenomenal job of walking through what it means for Jesus to be our, our priest, our eternal high priest. And it's a really challenging, like, gosh, that's, I'm, we're having a hard time grasping that. And so the author goes on his thought. There's so much more we would like to say about this. And then he says this, he pulls a Steve Boggs. But it's difficult to explain, especially since you are so spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now, imagine if you're sitting in the crowd that day when the, this letter's getting, did he, what? Did he just say we're spiritually dull? Did, did he really just say that? And not only that, but did he also go on to say, uh, I got more to tell you, but you don't even listen. You're not listening. Verse 12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basics, uh, the basic things about God's word. Here's the comparison. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For, some, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. But solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize a difference between right and wrong. Now, it would be easy to dismiss those few verses and be like, gosh, that's cruel. It's kind of mean. How could you say that to someone? I mean, calling someone spiritually dull, telling someone they're just not even listening. But as I consider Steve Box for 20 years ago, it's 20 years ago. And I remember that as... I'm super thankful. It hurt and it was hard having someone tell me something about me that I didn't know. And that has stuck with me for the last 17, 18 years. And I envision as the community is hearing this letter being read to them, there's something in me that says we're really thankful that we have a pastor here that is willing to tell us what we need to hear, what we, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear so we can keep growing, we can keep moving forward. I wanted to ask, a, I guess, a very personal question, and I'm going to share with you my personal response. If someone, the one who knows you best, and whoever that might be, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a friend, if the one who knows you best were to write an honest letter to you addressing your current spiritual condition, 
how would that letter read? What would that letter say to you? And I'm talking about what we just read in Hebrews. That's a pretty brutal assessment. You're spiritually dull and you're not listening. And so if someone who knows you, like really knows you, and actually loved you enough to write you such letter, what would that letter say? Well, I wanted to answer the question for you because this is what I think the letter to me would say. Michael, where's your joy? Where's your joy? Is it really still tied up in what you do rather than all he's done? Is your joy still tied up in what you do? I think the letter would go on. Why so tired? Why are you so tired, Michael? Are you still doing all you're doing in the flesh? Have you still not learned to rely on the power of the Spirit of God at work within you? Why are you so afraid, Michael, to just sit with God? Don't you know he has so much more for you? I think that's what my wife would say. She knows me pretty good. And I think that's the letter that she would write to me, not to discourage me, not to shame me, not to beat me up. But I think in love, she would ask me those questions. Michael, where's your joy? Why are you so tired? Why are you so afraid just to sit alone with God for not just a five minute, 15 minute, 20, why are you you so afraid? So if someone were to write you a letter, someone who knows your current condition, what would that letter actually say? What would it sound like? See, so when I read Hebrews, I'm actually thankful. I'm thankful that this author, this pastor, loved his community enough to say, I want to give you an assessment because if you don't know where you are, it's really hard to grow. It's really hard to move forward. And so one of the things that they heard in their assessment is some of you guys have been believing for so long. You've been in and around Christianity for so long, but yet you're still babies. You're drinking out of a sippy cup when you could be eating at Chipotle. (laughs) The pastor's saying, like, some of you have been in and around this for so many years that you should actually be teaching this to other people, that you should not be just soaking it all in, but you should actually be teaching. So here's a question for you. If you're at a place today, you're like, I want to grow. I really do. I really want to move forward. I I don't want to be stuck and spin my wheel. I want to grow. How do you think you would do that? Do you think you would grow more by just saying, all right, I'm going to lock myself in a room for an hour every day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to write. I'm going to read as many theological books as I can. Or do you think you would actually grow even more by saying, I'm going to take what I already know, and I'm going to start sharing it with other people? When people ask me, Michael, hey, I'd love to start serving in in Genesis somewhere. Where should I? And before they finish the question, I'm like, Genesis kids, that's where you need to serve. Genesis kids. I love all the other ministries, but my heart for Genesis kids is I've seen so many people come back to me and say, thanks for telling me about Genesis kids because in teaching these five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids about God's great love for them, I'm actually learning more than these kids are. And that's why I tell people, go teach in Genesis kids, because the moment you start teaching is the moment you will actually start growing. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of you should run out and say, hey, I'm going to be a Genesis U teacher and uh, start teaching these, these classes, but what I'm suggesting is you know People have poured into you before. If you just are here on a Sunday, you're learning something today that you have something this afternoon that you can go and teach someone else, someone you can share something with. So here's a question. Who knows what you're learning right now? 
Who knows what you're currently learning? And here's the kicker of that question. If you're not learning anything, then it's really hard to teach anyone anything. And it gets back to the ownership question. And that's why I promise you, in, when preparing messages, I learn so much more than anyone else. And I'm really humbled and thankful for that. But the moment you start having to teach other people is the moment you will start growing. So who knows currently what it is you're learning? My community group meets here on Thursday mornings at uh, 6.30, and it's a great group of about eight, nine guys, and uh, we do one verse a, a week. And uh, we've been doing First Timothy for the last six weeks, and so we're in the sixth verse. And each guy is taking turns, and the guys who are actually leading the time, the discussion, they're the guys who are growing the most. Why? Because you've got to sit with one verse. What's it say? How do we know it, understand it? How can we apply it? So who knows what it is you're learning, because when you start pouring out into others what's been poured into you, I promise you will not be stuck. I, I promise you will move forward. I promise that you will mature. The second thing I'd share with you in terms of how do we grow would be this. Growth comes from building our lives upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus. Okay, so you all have a foundation. All of us have a foundation. It's just a question of, is the foundation that we're building our lives, all of who we are, what is that foundation that I'm actually building on? Any carpenter, any architect would tell you, if you don't have a stable foundation, it, will, it won't work. It will absolutely crumble. You start with your foundation. And the one thing that scripture makes clear, specifically here in Hebrews, is if you do not have a foundation that is firm and solid on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to crumble. And for some of you, you've heard that for so long. And uh, this week when I was reading a great book by C.J. Mahaney, he came across uh, this chapter about growth. And he said, sometimes the most obvious truths are the ones we need to be reminded of the most. Sometimes the most obvious truths are the ones we need to be reminded of the most. Too many of us have fumbled the most important truth of the Bible, and therefore we've suffered the consequences. Like we've literally just fumbled this this foundational truth about a foundation or life being built on the gospel, and if we've fumbled that truth... The consequences are just stagnation, is that we're not moving forward, we're not growing, we're not maturing. But he goes on to say, it's not too late to restate and reestablish the obvious truth as the most important truth in your life. The key to joy, to growth, to passion isn't hiding from you, it's right before your eyes, it's the gospel. This is what uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says. So let us stop going over the basic teachings uh, about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Again, the heart behind what this pastor is saying is, it's not that we ignore or forget basic teachings. It's as simple as, but God has more for you. Let's grow. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. So surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further our understanding. So when I first read that, I was like, gosh, that's the basics. If I'm still not even getting the basics, and he's saying there's just more, I'm I'm humbled by that, but I'm also incredibly inspired of 
what else is there that I can learn, that I can grow in? He says in Hebrews 6, verse 1 through 3, repentance. And I love, do we really need to keep talking about repentance and telling people, hey, if you sin, it's going to not go well for you? Like, how many times do we need to hear the message? And I'm not just saying you, I'm saying me. How many times do we need to hear, hey, if you keep going on and doing everything that God doesn't want you to do, it won't work. It never does. How many times do we need to hear the message of, if you put your faith, your trust, your hope in anything other than God, it's misplaced and it won't go well for you? How many times do we need to even talk or think about baptism? And when we're talking about baptism, we're not just talking about literally physically in and out of the water. We're talking about being identified with Jesus, that your value, your significance, your worth is in as a follower of Christ. We say it here, not a fan, but a follower. How about when he talks about laying on of hands? You know what that means? Prayer. How many times do we need to be reminded, prayer, it's pretty important. It's actually one of the most important things that we can be doing to, to grow with God, to grow with each other. How many times do we talk about the resurrection? And when we're talking about the resurrection, it's a message that says, hey, do not forget that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. That death will not be the end of you. That is your entrance into eternity with God in heaven. That we do not need to fear what may or may not happen to us. Why? Well, because we'll be raised back to life because of Christ. How about the last one where it just says eternal judgment? Do we need heaven and hell and God's justice and righteousness? So again, as you go through that, it's humbling that the author would say these are the basic things But again, it's incredibly inspiring to know that we learn these things, we grow in these things, we walk in these things, but the message is, but God has even more of him for you to see. But if the message is always you need to repent, every week, every day, saying that there's absolutely more. Now, as I said before, growth, it does not come from just mastering these basic things, as he calls them basic Rather, growth is going to come when our foundation, it's firmly established on the gospel. Now, I'm going to read to you a few verses in Hebrews that I'm, on, I'm not being dramatic, I'm not trying to freak you out, but these are probably the most chilling verses in all of Scripture for me. This is what the author of Hebrews says because he's talking about, yes, you can know the basic things, but if your foundation is not on Jesus, then you'll walk away. That you and I, if we do not have a foundation on Jesus, in time, we will walk away. It says this in chapter 6, verse 4. It's impossible, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It's this picture of there are people who have tasted, who they've experienced, they've seen things. And the author of Hebrews right there in Scripture, in God's Word, said it's impossible. It's impossible for those who have tasted it, those who have seen it, those who have experienced it, to turn them back. Verse 5 and 6, it's impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. In 20 years of pastoral ministry, uh, the, probably the question that I've been asked most and have m- tons of discussion on 
is people who have been in the church and are Christians, but there's this fear of, can I do something to lose my salvation? And generally, people will go to Hebrews and say, well, what about that? It says it's impossible to bring someone back. They've tasted, they've been enlightened, they've seen, they've experienced. So is it possible for someone to actually lose salvation? And my response is always the same. If there is something that I could do to lose my salvation, there must be something that I can do to earn my salvation, which is just not possible. If there was nothing that I could do to earn my salvation, there's nothing I could do to lose my salvation. The right question is, can Jesus ever lose a Christian? Is it possible for Jesus ever to misplace you? But gosh, I totally lost sight of that guy. And clearly the answer would be absolutely not. So if I am saying, if you have experienced the salvation that Jesus has provided for you, and Jesus can't lose you, then who on earth is the pastor, the author of Hebrews, who is he even talking about in this letter that it's impossible to bring this person back? And again, growth comes from building on the foundation of the gospel. So who is he talking about? And the answer is this, those that never had saving faith to actually begin with. That's who he's talking about here. Now, I'm not a farmer, uh, but I've seen this on YouTube, so you can trust me. Cows uh, have a really unique digestive system, okay? And cows, uh, if you've ever seen a cow, uh, they, they chew what's called cud. And they will just, if you ever see in their mouth, the jaws always moving, they're just chewing cud. For hours upon hours upon hours, they are just literally chewing cud. And most of the cud that they chew, they actually spit out. They don't digest everything that they put into their mouth. So as I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 6 here, uh, that's the image that honestly came to mind, is that there will be people who will chew on the cud of Christianity. They will taste it. They will experience it. They will see some things uh, that are both challenging and encouraging. But like cows, you don't digest all of the cud that you chew and who I believe Hebrews is talking about is people who are literally just chewing on it. They're just chewing on it. So then I begin to wrestle, well, why would someone chew on Christianity and experience it and see God do amazing things, taste of it, and see God do all, like, why would you chew on that and not digest it? Why on earth would you spit that out? And again, I just wrote it down in my journal like this is, there comes a point in time when you realize that Christianity is not about Christians, it's about Christ. And there are many people who start Christianity for what Christianity can do for them, how Christianity can fix them, help them, all of these different things, rather than saying, yeah, but it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And there comes a point when people start to realize, like, wait a minute, the message of Christianity, I have to die to myself? I seriously don't like that. I have issues, like, I really have to die to myself. That's the message of Christianity. Pick up your cross, suffer, and follow me. The message of Christianity is you, I really have to forgive people. Like even the mean ones, the critical ones, even the people who never even ask me or say they're sorry. As a Christian, I'm supposed to forgive them? You mean I'm supposed to be generous with my money, my time, my resources, my... I don't like being generous. You mean as a Christian, I'm, I'm supposed to serve? You mean as a Christian, I have to stop some of my favorite sins? And so there are people who, once they begin to realize that Christianity is not about them, but it's all about Jesus, 
the cud that they were chewing begins to fall out. And why it says it's impossible to bring that person back is because if you reject Jesus, Jesus can't take someone who is rejecting him. That doesn't mean Jesus has stopped loving them and and pursuing them, but why it's impossible is if you reject Jesus, he will let you live in that rejection. Not because he doesn't love you, he loves you enough to let you reject him. John chapter 6, disciples are absolutely wrestling with this thing that what Jesus is teaching. They're wrestling with Christianity. And there are the crowds Jesus is teaching. He's saying some really hard things. And so this is the, the, the end of the story. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, well, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus looked at him. Guys, everyone's leaving. They don't like what I'm saying because what I'm saying is challenging them not to make their life about them, but to make it about God. And people left. People walked away. But the disciples, Peter rightly says, I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. Why? You have the words of life, of eternal life. And so before I share with you uh, the last point, um, I would share with you this. Are you just chewing on the cud of Christianity or have you digested it? And a good way to even assess where you are and how to answer that question will be seen in the foundation. Is your foundation Jesus and Jesus alone? Or is it just something completely different? So are you just chewing on the cud of Christianity or have you completely digested the incredible truths of the gospel, of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he is doing? Um, We are out of time. Uh, I had one more point for you. I'm just gonna give this to you so you can write it down. Uh, Encourage you, invite you to uh, spend some time today. Uh, It's a great opportunity to grow. Uh, in reading the back half of Hebrews 6, but the growth comes when God's character is your anchor. As you sit with Hebrews 6, that's what I wanted you to catch in the back half of Hebrews 6, is growth will come when God's character uh, is your anchor. We all have an anchor. We all have something that we're holding to or clinging to. So we have that anchor that if we we just have this, I'm not going to drift away, or if, if I just have this, and so the question obviously would just be, what is your anchor? Like we get the, 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 the metaphor, the nautical metaphor, anchors are used to help keep us grounded from drifting away. It says in Hebrews 6, 18, so God's given both his promise and his oath. These two things, unchangeable, it's impossible for God to lie. That's scripture's way of saying, you can trust him. He ain't lying. He's not lying. You can trust in the character of God. Therefore, we who have fled uh, to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So the question as we finish is, what is your anchor? So much could be said about this, but what is it you are looking to, I guess, to be your anchor. Uh, If you're on the city, uh, the city is our kind of way of communicating with uh, the community prayer requests, needs, 
things going on. If you're not on the city, uh, stop in at the living room. Uh, but this week, uh, Charlotte Harris posted uh, a prayer request, and her prayer request was, was uh, for one of her girlfriends uh, who has a 10-month-old son uh, named Jack. And Jack was just diagnosed recently with leukemia. And uh, leukemia is pretty bad, uh, his stage of leukemia. And barring a class A miracle of God, it doesn't look good. And uh, Charlotte was talking to uh, her girlfriend this past week, and this is on the city. This is exactly what she posted. And uh, Charlotte's friend told this to Charlotte. She told me that if her baby dies... And just one of her non-Christian friends learns about Jesus, it's enough. And I was like, oh, who's, who's, what? How is that possible? How could you possibly say if my baby dies, my 10-month, my 10-month-old child, how could you possibly come to that conclusion that if my kid dies but a friend of mine comes to know Jesus, it will be enough? And when I read that, I was like, she's got a strong anchor. Because if you don't have an anchor, that would wreck you. That would just wreck you. And I'm not suggesting for this young mom that she will not go through a, a, a storm. She's in the midst of a storm. But here's the beauty of what she said. It's enough. Because I know the character of God, who he is, I know that even though this would be awful and horrific, I know the character of God, he will be faithful. And he will use tragedy. And we pray that it won't go there. But I just, I was so compelled and inspired by this young woman. She has a solid anchor. So I would ask you this morning as we finish, is the character of God, who, is that your anchor? Because if it's not, you're going to get blown everywhere and you'll never experience the growth that God has for you.